Ephesians 3 verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And we all read, Amen. And Father, we ask as we open the word of God this morning that you would just please help us, Lord, by your spirit now. Open our understanding to comprehend these scriptures that we would receive every intent behind why your spirit wrote and inspired these things for us. And Lord, that your word would be, as you said it is, living and powerful and that it would give life to us this morning, that it would speak to us in a powerful way that we might have the ability to hear what your voice would say to us. Bless your word, Lord, and direct the remainder of our time together. We ask you to speak to us now in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, I'm not looking for an answer here, but let me ask you a question to ponder as we begin our study this morning, and that is this. What is the stabilizing factor in your personal life? Or perhaps the better question or more important question would be, is there a stabilizing factor in your life? Because for some people, there is no stabilizing factor in their life. And that can be a very difficult thing. What keeps you anchored where you should be, especially in hard times, especially in the occasions when the storms of life come blowing through as they do upon all of our lives? Well, Hebrews chapter 6 tells us that Jesus can become an anchor to our soul, that Jesus himself can become this stabilizing anchor in our lives. And today I would ask, are you experiencing that? Are you experiencing Jesus as the anchor to your soul or are you perhaps being tossed around by the stormy seas of life? Well, the background to what we're going to look at together this morning in these verses together, in fact, verse 13, the verse prior to right where we began reading, Paul was expressing his concern that the believers there in Ephesus may perhaps be starting to lose heart. And he didn't want to see them begin to lose heart, which is a good reminder that even as Christians sometimes who do know the Lord, we can at times face certain things that cause us to lose heart. The idea is to become disheartened. And I think we've all experienced that before. And Paul was concerned that they might be starting to lose heart. Hebrews 12 tells us that because of just living in this world and the effects of sin, upon us, the effects of sin struggling within us, the effects of sin against us as we live in this world and we experience the byproduct of sinful people and sinful actions coming against us. As a result of that, the Bible says, Hebrews 12, that we, even as Christians, can become weary and discouraged in our souls. 
That there can become a weariness, an inward discouragement where we start to feel disheartened. The danger is this, is that when a person starts to lose heart, oftentimes there then comes the temptation to be prone to start to then lose their bearings as well. And sometimes when somebody starts to lose heart, they start to then lose their footing and lose their bearings. And that can be a dangerous and, a, and an unhealthy thing. And that's not what God's heart is for us and why he wants us to have an anchor for our soul. And it's because they were, Paul was concerned they were losing heart that Paul now begins to not only encourage but to intercede for them. And to ask that God would do something in their souls that would help them become anchored, anchored, particularly what I want to talk about this morning, anchored in the love of Christ, just anchored in the love of Jesus in a way whereby it would help them to be stable and rooted, as we'll see. So Paul began, we saw verse 14 and 15, just indicating that because he was concerned about them losing heart, that he was on his knees, that he had bowed his knee in submission to the Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, asking no doubt that God would do these things for you as a part of the the family of God collectively. And then he begins to say what he was asking. If you look with me and draw your attention to the 16th verse, he says, first of all, I'm asking that he would grant you, who may perhaps be beginning to lose heart, according to the riches, the vast wealth of his glory, to be, look what it says, strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. I want you to take notice there, verse 16, in the inner man, there is indeed the existence of and the difference between the outward man and the inward man. The Bible tells us there is a difference. Now, to those who are in the world that don't yet perhaps know the Lord Jesus Christ, they never had a spiritual experience with God personally, uh, that concept doesn't quite exist in their minds. And the reality is, listen, let's be honest, we're quite complex beings. We're pretty integrated. And a lot of times, if you feel physical, physically miserable, uh, then a lot of times you can get discouraged and kind of downcast inwardly. And then we know as well that there can be times when people can become so depressed so grief-stricken, so anxious that they literally can make themselves physically sick. And so these things do have an interconnection with one another, but the Bible speaks to us in ways whereby it speaks of an outer man and an inward man. In fact, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says then, though the outward man may be perishing, falling apart, that's what God's trying to say there, and we all know that, the inward man, he says, is being renewed day by day. That is, the outward can be falling apart, the inward can still be rejuvenated and encouraged. And here he's talking about the inward man as compared to the outward man. And the tragedy is, as we know, if we're all honest, that a lot of times much more attention is given to the outward man. That is, the the physical frame. There's a physical part of us. We all have a body, this vehicle that God has given to us, this human instrument whereby We express ourselves so we can see things and experience things and touch things and embrace people and talk to one another. So we have this outward body. It's a tent. It's a temporary dwelling, this outward man. But there's an inward part of us as well, the soul and the spirit, the part of us that's actually genuine, sincere, and the real part of who you and I are, the lasting part that's going to one day be dismissed from this physical body and is going to continue to live on eternally. And here, Paul's speaking about something important for the inward man. He gives interesting no mention to the outward man, but sadly, the truth of the matter is, is it not true? Often we give much more attention to the outward man. 
I mean, whether it's in physical fitness or concerns with health and all these kind of things, uh, and that's really a wrong priority. A lot of times we give so much attention to the outward man that we neglect the inward man. Or we altogether ignore the inward man and the inward man is struggling and dying and falling apart at the seams from the inside out and we wonder why our world's in the condition that it's in. Because we live in a world that gives so much attention to the outward man. I mean, take into consideration how much time most people spend in the morning making their outward frame look a certain way in comparison to how much time they take into consideration let me work on the inward man because if my attitude is ugly, who cares if I look really attractive? And my hair may be perfect and my breath may not stop a rhino at 50 paces because I brushed my teeth and flossed. And, and, but, but you know, inwardly, I, I'm an ugly mess. And so often, it's amazing. I mean, just evaluate, especially if you're somebody who's into physical fitness, evaluate how much time people truly spend in many ways on the outward person compared to the inward person. People, you know, imagine if we had genuine cross fit and people took up their cross every day denied themselves and followed Jesus and we had a, a spiritual crossfit going on, what would people look like? But the inward man, Paul was concerned, may be struggling and growing weary. And so Paul here prays and he says, your soul, your spirit, that center of who you really are, he says that's the condition of the inward man and really that's what affects and determines everything in life. That really, the inward man, is the thing that really has a greater bearing on all of our life experiences, the condition of the inward person, the inward man, the soul, the spirit. Proverbs 4.23, one of my favorite verses, says this, keep your heart, your inward man, not your physical heart, the, the center of who you are. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. The Bible is trying to say is that there's a maintenance of the inward person, our heart condition, that we need to constantly be diligent about. The word diligent means effort. Uprooting weeds, getting junk out of there, dealing with stuff, putting attention and care and, and, and investment into the heart condition. Because he says out of that flows all the issues of life. Every issue in our life is affected by our inward person, by our heart condition. And Paul was concerned for these believers that their inward man was growing weary, that they were losing heart, becoming disheartened, maybe losing their bearings. And so Paul says, I'm praying that God would strengthen you, he says, with might and power through his spirit in the inward man. See, the inward man is constantly dependent upon routine empowerment from God. We routinely, in the inward person, it's not self-sustained. We need constant empowerment from the Lord, supernatural strength from Him. So Paul says, I'm praying that the Lord would just invigorate your inward man again, that He would infuse the inward man that's grown weary and despondent or discouraged. Or, and he says, I just pray the Lord would just, in a fresh way, by His Spirit, strengthen you supernaturally. An inward invigoration of the inward person by the Spirit of God's power, just in a sense bringing fresh life and fresh enablement. So Paul was asking that for them. He then prayed as well, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, when he speaks of Christ dwelling in their hearts, he's not talking about the fact that the Spirit of God or the person of the Spirit of Christ dwells within us. 
when we get saved. That was already an understood thing, and chapter 1 already addressed that. So Paul's not saying, I hope if you're a Christian, Christ comes and lives in you. Uh, The Bible teaches Christ does live in us. Uh, Jesus' spirit is within the child of God. He dwells within us in that sense. He indwells us. The term that Paul uses there, he's not saying, I hope Christ will come dwell in your heart. Paul actually is using a term there in the Greek which speaks of not living inside of or indwelling, but it's a term that speaks of settling down and being comfortable. That word dwell there means to, to become comfortable, to make yourself feel at home. So in essence, what Paul is trying to say is, is he's saying, I pray that Jesus would be able to settle down and to dwell and be comfortable inside your life now that you're a child of God. Uh, Again, we understand the difference of that. Perhaps if you travel somewhere, you're in a hotel room or you stay overnight somewhere and it's not your house. You're there and you're in the location or you're in the hotel room. But because it's not your house, you don't quite feel settled, comfortable as compared to when you're at home. You feel comfortable because that's home. You feel you you make yourself at home there. And this is the idea. He's saying that Jesus would feel at home in your life. I pray, Paul's saying, that there'd be nothing in your life that would make Jesus not feel at home. Hey, great question to ask yourself this morning as we prepare to share communion shortly. And we're told to examine ourselves. Is there anything going on in your heart right now? that would make Jesus not feel too comfortable? Any attitude in your heart? Anything that you're holding in your heart? The Bible says sometimes we can even regard or cherish iniquity in our heart. We, we can have some love and hold on to some sin or something. And is there anything in your heart that is there, because Jesus is there if you're a Christian, that would say, Jesus would say, I'm not feeling very at home in your heart right now. I'm not going to abandon you. He's not going to depart from us. Of course he won't. But is there anything that's making him feel a little uneasy? If so, then I want the Lord to feel at home in my life. I want him to be comfortable to be able to dwell there as I keep my faith in him. Even unbelief can be something that makes Jesus feel unsettled within us. He then goes on, verse 17, to then say that you being rooted and grounded in love, he says, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So Paul now begins to speak about the love of Christ. Verse 17, he says that you being rooted and grounded in love. He uses two metaphors there, one agricultural and one architectural to talk about and picture being anchored in love. Paul says, I'm concerned you're losing heart. And he says, the best thing that can help a person that's disheartened is that they become more and more rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. That word rooted that he speaks of there is a term that speaks of being settled or firmly fixed in place, like a plant that has nice deep roots that has sunk down into the soil. So it's established by extending those deeper roots. It's not easily uprooted or moved. It pictures the life of a person who's settled. A person who has a settled life, who is firmly rooted in place, they're not someone who's easily uprooted or easily transplanted or always changing or unsettled and always looking for the new thing, looking for the next thing. No, they're a settled person. They're they're rooted. They're just a person who's rooted. They're rooted in the love of Christ, so they're not always searching for and needing after the next thing, the new thing. Why? Because he says here they're rooted in love love and you know what this morning can i on behalf of the lord remind you that god wants every person to be rooted deeply rooted in the love 
of Christ, to be rooted in the love that Jesus has for you, to know his love, to be experiencing his love for me. And think of what roots do. What do roots do? Natural roots. They draw nourishment and they draw life that's needed for things like what? Survival, stability, in order to be productive and fruitful, and, and they draw strength. And this is what the Bible's saying that we are to do. We're to be rooted in the love of Jesus. So as we're rooted in the love of Jesus, you can find what you need to survive in this crazy, rotten, mean, miserable, is that enough adjectives? World. Because I don't know how you survive without that source of love. I don't know how you do. I don't know how you manage to continue to be productive. I don't know how people, and quite frankly, it's probably why, look at our culture, people are so unstable. And they're not rooted because they're rooted in either a poisonous, polluted stream or they're rooted in their own self-independence and they're rooted in all kinds of other things and they're not drawing the love of Christ. God wants us to be rooted in the love of Jesus so you can draw the love of Jesus, continuously experience it for yourself to receive what you need. So he says that you may be rooted in Christ's love, but he also says grounded and grounded in love. The word grounded is the architectural term. It speaks of something that's foundational. It's inferring the foundation of a building. And what does a foundation of a building do? It upholds and supports everything else. It keeps everything else straight. And it's the thing, the foundation that holds everything else in place. This speaks of being stable, being well-founded, able to, uh, to, to uphold and endure under things. It pictures a life that's grounded. Somebody who has a grounded life. A stable life. They're not easily falling apart because they're grounded in the love of Christ. Knowing and experiencing Jesus' love, listen, can ground a person and give them incredible stability. Incredible stability. In such a way be, where because they are grounded in the love of Jesus, it keeps them from constantly searching for acceptance in all kinds of other things. Because they're grounded in Jesus. And because they're grounded in the love of Jesus, it keeps them from searching for fulfillment and security and significance and worth and all kinds of other things that just fail anyway. They just disappoint and never come through. And when a life many times is marked by a lack of stability and a person who just does not seem to be able to be grounded, oftentimes that is connected to a lack of of being grounded and rooted in the love of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes it's an indication of their inability yet to experience the love of Jesus in their soul and that's why there's no stability. That's why they're not grounded because the reality is, and it's a wonderful thing, a person can become truly rooted and grounded, have a stable and settled life if they become rooted and grounded in the love of Christ for them. And this love of Christ is incredible. Paul describes it there in verses 18 and 19. He says that you might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know this love of Christ which passes knowledge. So Paul desires that we come to a greater understanding and experience of the love of Christ for each one of us. This incredible, immeasurable, the way he paints the picture there, love of Christ. And that word know, he says, to know the love of Christ it's not the term that means to know something intellectually or academically where you know facts and information. And look, we can read facts and information about what the Bible declares of Jesus' love, but it's a term, the word know means to know experientially. 
not academically. The idea is you know it because you've experienced it firsthand. And you can say, listen, I, I know what the facts say, but I'm telling you, I've experienced it. I've experienced it in the inward man and the depth of my soul, and I want to keep knowing it more fully because you've encountered it in a direct and a personal way. And God's saying here he wants us to be continually increasing, becoming more fully aware by firsthand experience of this incredible love of Christ. And he describes it with some different terms there to kind of speak of how measureless it is. He speaks of the width of the love of Christ. The idea is it's all-encompassing, no matter who you are. No matter what you have ever done or what others think of you, the love of Christ embraces everyone. No one's beyond the width of the extent of the love of Christ in their condition. He may not agree with a person's condition and he doesn't endorse their condition or what they're doing, but it does not minimize that they're still within the width and the extent of the love of Christ for them and he seeks to draw them in his love. He speaks there of the length of the love of Christ. The idea there is the extent, how far his love reaches, farther than we can imagine. Which means this morning, when we think that we've gone too far, we've exhausted the limits of Jesus' love, he probably can't love me now. I've just gone too far in a way that no one else ever has or I never thought I would or it's just been too long. Listen, his love reaches further still. It goes longer than that. You have not exhausted the love of Jesus because there is no limit to the love of Jesus. There's no limit to his love. You could never go too far that he would stop loving you. And the wonderful thing about that length of the love of Jesus, it also speaks of how Jesus' love is enduring. The idea is length in the sense it lasts. It's a lasting love. It's an enduring love. It's unlike the changing, unfading or fading human love that often has a time period. I love you until I don't love you anymore. Or I love you until something else comes along that I choose to love more. The love of Jesus is limitless. It has no time period. It's a love even as we sang this morning and Chris and I didn't plan that, that one of that songs that he sang, his love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. There are people in this room this morning, other people's love has failed, it's given up, it's run out, it's changed, but I've lost the feelings of love, I love someone else. Listen, Jesus will never do that. His love will last. It's not like shallow human love. It's a love that's enduring and lasting, and it's a love that has depth to it as well. If you feel you've sunk so low this morning because of your own failures and mistakes that you think, oh man, I am beyond anyone loving me. I have sunk so low. If anyone in this room knew what I have done at one point in my life, listen, can I tell you something? You can never go too low for Jesus not to love you. There is no pit of mistakes and failures and rottenness that you can dig yourself into that the love of Jesus does not go deeper still that he won't come and love you in that place. And even this morning, if you feel you're in the depths of despair and in a deep pit and discouraged, the love of Jesus is there with you in the pit. And he'll nurse you back to health by loving you through the process and helping you through it. The fourth word he uses there is the height of Jesus' love. And I think this is neat because perhaps you say, well, those other things don't apply. And man, I have experienced such heights to the degree of the love of Jesus. I'm so thankful. His love, it just keeps blowing my mind. It's so awesome. I can't just get over the, how high he's taken me 
to let me experience his love for me. Well, the Bible says, listen, you ain't seen nothing yet. He can take you. There are, there are heights of the heavenly depths of the love of Jesus. There are such higher degrees of experiencing his love that you have never even began to scratch the surface with yet. Ephesians 2 tells us that for all of eternity, we'll be learning more and more about his love and his grace and his goodness. It's going to take all of eternity. We're going to get there into heaven. You're going to sit down. And he's going to say, let me read to you John 3.16. He's going to say, now let me tell you what that really means. And for the next 10,000 years, he'll start to explain to us the depths of his love. Notice his love is so incredible. Paul says to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Paul's saying, I want you to know something, but he says, let me be honest, you'll never figure it out. <laughs> it's just a mysterious, incredible amazing love that brings wonder and amazement the reason why paul says that you may be filled with all the fullness of god paul wants them to be rooted and grounded in christ's love so they can become filled to the greatest degree by the fullness of god's love in their life i don't even know what that means to be filled with all the fullness of god the heaven of heavens can't contain god but I think what Paul is trying to say is that God is love and he wants to pour his love into our hearts to fill our lives with his love. I can't think of a better thing than to have our lives just filled with the fullness of the incredible love of God that a life could be filled with his love, healed and made whole and complete and all the fractures and wounds and all the holes and gaping things that are missing in our lives. The love of Jesus just fills in all the gaps and makes a person whole and satisfied. And see, the wonderful thing is this. When you're experiencing that kind of love from Jesus, then you can begin to express that kind of love from Jesus to other people. And you can begin to forgive people in ways you never thought you could before. And you can love people in ways you never thought you could love before and be kind and compassionate and caring. And why? Because you're experiencing this supernatural love and you're so filled with the love of Jesus Christ that it, it just flows over naturally. You don't have to work up the love. If you're here today, you say, oh, I'm, I'm struggling so hard with loving this person. Listen, stop trying. And come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to fill me. I need to experience your love. I need to experience your love for me in such a way to where it so fills me, it, it just flows out of me naturally because of that overflow of the cup of the great love of Christ. Perhaps today you truly desire to experience more of Christ's love, and I would encourage you, verse 20 says that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think through his power that works in us. As we enter back into worship, I want to encourage you to remember that in relation to the love of Christ, that you would say, Lord, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I want that love I want to experience that love in my life. I want to be more rooted and grounded in love, filled with your love. So Lord, in a way beyond I could ever ask or I could even think as possible, would this morning you just fill me afresh with the love of Jesus for me? Let's pray together. Let's stand if we would as we turn back to a time of worship.